Hey everybody, so uh, Johnny Five and myself are now just heading back from finishing uh, the leg of our small tour that took us out to like Idaho and such. And uh, we're preparing this podcast for you that kind of follows up on our conversations with, uh, with um, Greg and Kalen from Wheelchair Sports Camp. So we're talking to some pretty amazing activists from uh, ADAPT. And we think it's just really... It illuminates a lot of things about the complexity of these issues and like facets of it that many of us have not thought about and how in many ways universal health care would also allow a lot of people who want to work the ability to do so. So we hope you enjoy this interview and uh, yeah, check it out. Right, thanks again. They said they'd rather go to jail than die without Medicaid, and that's where they are tonight. And nearly a dozen people with disabilities protested at Senator Cory Gardner's Denver office for more than 48 hours. And in just the past couple of hours, it came to a dramatic end. Good evening, and thank you for joining us tonight. I'm Shannon Ogden. And I'm Andrew Hill. From here to Bangladesh, I've been the best. Minimal fever, hang the rest, sing the mess, city clothes. Seminar research, train is less, and pain against what's next. Not criminal either, but I'm more eager to stop abusing or losing my leisure. Podcast game and getting into the fidget spinner game. And I'll say the on kind of like late in the game. Oh, yeah. Like five years ago, the fidget spinner was playing a couple years ago. Yeah, that's also my. I started. I got a haircut where I shaved the sides. Too long on the top and shaving the sides. I've heard that's big. That's too much. That's too ahead for me. No pun intended. Um, but so this is Johnny Five here from Flowbots, and I'm here with some folks from Adapt. Would you all be willing to introduce yourselves? Josh Wengler. Jose Torres. And I'm Sarah Metch. And we just uh, finished being here for the, the Lives on the Line healthcare rally here in City Park. And we were talking and I was like, wait a second, I'm learning so much, I feel like we should record this. And so this is uh, for people who want to learn more about the history of ADAPT and also just the issues we were talking about. Um, just now you are talking about kind of how you got... So I was talking to Josh and he knows a, whole, a lot about the legislative process. And I was like, how did you learn this much? Because he seems to have seen all the inner workings of the beast and know how the sausage is made. And it's very enlightening for me personally. And I was like, how did you learn this? And you said that you just learned this like five years ago. Yeah, so I got involved. I, I got hurt in 1998, moved out to Denver in 1999, um, been out here ever since. And I got involved out of personal need. I mean, initially it was, I, my needs were met. When I, when I moved out here, I had Social Security that barely paid my bills. I got a Section 8 voucher, so I got an accessible apartment. I was going to college. I got help from Voc Rehab to pay for my college. I would, everything was going well. Got a job, was able to earn money. But the program I was on through Social Security Insurance, SSI, uh-huh. uh, had a great work program. So when I first went to work without a lot of work experience, that was how I was able to qualify for this work program called 1619B. And then during the recession, I got laid off. And when I got laid off, I ended up back on SSDI while I was trying to find a job. And that had a completely different set of rules. Okay. Well, one letter different in the name and a completely different set of rules. And coming off of SSDI, because it's built, SSI is built for more people that have never worked. A lot of kids with disabilities uh-huh. end up on SSI. It's people with no work experience. SSDI, or very limited work experience. Yeah. Uh, SSD, on the other hand, that's built for if you have a, if, if you're working, 
and you become disabled. And so it's based off your earnings and work quarters, and it's all based on how much you've worked. Yeah. Well, by the time I got laid off in 2008, I had enough work quarters, so I got on SSDI. And yeah. it doesn't have those generous abilities to be able to work yeah. um, and actually keep your Medicaid. For me, it's all about Medicaid. And I feel like this is something people don't... Well, I feel like people just are ignorant in general about any of the, the programs and issues that affect folks with disabilities. But I think one of the, when you look at YouTube comments and people are having these flame wars and fighting each other, there'll be these interesting arguments over work. And actually, even though some of them were written by people who were saying some toxic things, I thought there was, it was an important discussion because people were saying, well, they, you know, get a job. And other people were like, no, they can't. They're in wheelchairs. And they're saying, what are you saying? You're saying they can't work. They can't be a computer programmer. And so this interplay between needing to keep certain funding but also wanting to work I think is actually pretty important for people to hear about. So like, yeah. you've been wanting to try to find ways to both keep the support and work. Yeah, so, yeah. so I, I think that you know, being a podcast, you guys obviously can't see me. Uh, so I, I use a power wheelchair, I'm quadriplegic. I have partial use of my arms. I have no use of my fingers. Um, I have my biceps, but I don't have use of my triceps. I can rotate my arms out, but I can't rotate them back in. Um, I can move my wrist one way, I can't move the other. So I've adapted a lot in my life, and I'm really independent once I'm up in my wheelchair. I can, I drive, I actually run a machine shop out of my garage now. I am able to do a lot with the technology we have today, and adapting some stuff, I'm able to do a lot with my life. But I can't transfer myself. Mm -hmm. I've tried for years, believe me. I don't like having somebody come to my house twice a day and right. get me dressed, give me a shower, help me use the toilet. I, I don't enjoy that. I don't enjoy having a bedtime. When I was in college and my friends were going out, I'd say, see you later, I gotta go home, I got a bedtime. Because my attendant was coming, whatever time my attendant was right, coming. Right. And that was bedtime. Um, I, I don't enjoy that, I wouldn't do it if I didn't have to. But I physically cannot move myself in and out of my wheelchair. Um, I just, I, I don't have the arm use to do that. Without right. triceps to, to lock my elbows, and lift. There's no way I'll ever be able to do it. And even if I did, I don't use my fingers, so I wouldn't be putting my pants on and off or my shirt on and off. Right, right. So I'm dependent on Medicaid. And there was a time in my life I thought I could pay my own way, that I could earn enough. I went and got a master's degree thing and six-figure salary. I'll, I'll get there. I'll pay for my own way. I'll get off of all these benefits. And then I found out how much my home health care actually costs. Mm -hmm. And my home health care is between forty dollars and $50,000 a year. That's not covered by private insurance. That's not covered by Medicare. Uh, actually, Medicare and Medicaid dual eligible, so a lot of my expenses go to Medicare. That was a real hard reality for me at 24 years old when I was graduating college getting a job. Right. And so I, the program I was on through SSI, it held my income down to around 50000 a year, which coming off of $550 a month SSI, I felt rich. Mm -hmm. But it came with a $2,000 asset limit. So I couldn't save any of the money. So I just had to spend money like a fool. I, I bought a new car, I had all the modern electronics, I just I had to blow the money every month. Because okay. I couldn't have more than $2,000 in liquid assets. One house, one car, and $2,000 in other assets. So it's like you're, you're, you're working, <laughs> getting paid, but you had to spend it in order to be able to receive the home health care. In order to stay Medicaid eligible. In yeah. order to remain Medicaid eligible. And for me, that's my big thing is the home health care. I can get private insurance and be fine with going to the doctor, going to the hospital, probably even some of my wheelchair expenses. Yeah. Um, the actual wheelchair itself, most private insurers won't pay enough for. But it repairs and stuff like that, a lot of them will pick up. But the home health care is the deal breaker for me. I can yeah. never, I, I keep telling people I have three options. I win Powerball, yeah. I stay on Medicaid, or I die. Those are the three options I have. They're How good are you at Powerball? 
Um, I haven't bought a ticket in about five years. Okay, you sound like you're really bad at it. Yeah, yeah, that one's that was probably not likely on the table. Yeah, I mean, and, I'm not saying you should do it, but I'm, but that is seems like the number one way to not win. And, well, my driving's got better. I haven't had an accident. Like, well, I haven't had an accident that's my fault in like five years. So, you know, I, I had this car that um, at one my last car had a wound on all four sides of the car. All of them came when it was parked, and were not my fault. And then the final thing that happened to that car is someone. It got hit, like, just slammed into by someone who I think probably hadn't driven on snow before. Um, and it was total, but I didn't know it was total because then it got stolen. And then when finally when I got it back, it determined that it was totaled. And then I now have a new car. Nice, nice. Yeah, that's how I know a new car. Um, not quite that it is bad of a story, but, you know, somebody else's fault and I got a new car. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's kind of like a pre-existing exi- condition <laughs> yeah. in, a, in a way, right? So My car? Your car yeah. and our lives. Yeah. So there are a bunch of us here uh, and in this world that were born into this world with different diagnoses, right. right? So, like Josh speaks about, he acquired his diagnosis a little later on in life. I was born into this world with a diagnosis. From the age of six to about thirty, I've undergone over sixty-eight red, red surgeries. Hair. This, this is Josh. Red hair was the diagnosis. By the way, <laughs> I can confirm. <laughs> um, so you know, my body's endured a lot over that period of time. But then I was the healthiest that I was in my adult life. Yeah. Age thirty-three or so, I was working. I had a full-time job, probably sixty to seventy hours a week. What sort of work? I was working in the autism community, so I was all over town setting up events, trying to get supports to people who didn't have anything, trying to connect people, and one day I woke up in the worst pain of my life, and I managed to drive myself to the doctor where he found out that I broke my back. So, So I've had all of these surgeries, I've undergone all of this medical treatment, I've had Medicaid as my ally since I was six and a half years old. Uh, but then when you break your back, you get put into this whole other category of disability and Mm -hmm. the needs go way up. Mm -hmm. So prior to, to breaking my back, I didn't have assistant care. I was very independent. I was able to drive myself places. I had, like I shared, I had um, a meaningful job that actually paid me somewhat what it was worth. Right. And uh, I, you know, I was having the time of my life. And now I'm still having the time of my life. And I require so much more durable medical equipment. I require assistant care daily just to get through uh, my life. And I know that if Medicaid is taken away, that's my lifeline. It's got it's taken away as well. So I would be not far in line behind my friends who definitely will die if Medicaid's taken away. So as far as your relationship to work right now, I mean, and the activism that you've been involved in, so are you a member of ADAPT? So I would say as, yes, I would say I am a member of ADAPT. I would say I joined out of necessity to, to save our lives. This is the one group that will lead this fight and will continue to lead the disability rights fight in this country. Yes. Um... And we didn't. I didn't get to talk to you at all. That's okay. <laughs> so I still have time. What, tell, tell me um, your relationship to work. I guess like that in this conversation around work. How so, is that? But, yeah. For me, it's, it's it's different than these two 
mm-hmm. of my friends because I am an I'm a immigrant. I came from Central America, and I acquired my green card. Okay, but I had to wait five years until I was uh, eligible for any kind of public benefits. ¿Y de qué país viene usted? I'm sorry. ¿De qué país viene usted? <laughs> Hablas español? Yeah, hablo español. Bueno, we can speak English as well. No, yo hablo español. Ah, sí, también. ¿De qué país viene usted? Guatemala. De Guatemala, ok. Yo conozco Guatemala solo un poquito. Oh, ok. De Shela. Shela. Que estuve en Shela. Yep. ¿Hace cuánto tiempo que está en Estados Unidos? Hace 17 años. Ok. Mm-hmm. 17 years in the United States. Exactly, 17 years in the United States since I, since I was 21 years old. And uh, well, we're the same age. Yeah, yo. Well, I'm older actually. I made myself younger. I'm 39. I'm 39 too. Oh, you are? Yeah. Wait, when do you turn 40? Uh, next year. Uh, I turn 40 in two months. In October. David. <laughs> I'm older. You're a young man. For a few, for a few months. <laughs> yeah, for a little bit. I'll be. I'll tell you what 40 is like. Okay. Yeah, it might be. It could be different for each of us, but it's it's a crisis, you know. It will definitely be different <laughs> for each of us. This is Josh. 40s old. I'm just gonna say 40s old. I'm I'm way younger than that. Uh, yeah, you're a little you're a little boy. Actually, <laughs> can you say that again? I, can you I say the fuck you? I said. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was important to get that. Yeah. Oh, don't worry, we'll bleep it. No, I, I love, I love my friend John. Yeah, uh, and you, I can tell by the way you say "fuck you," right? Yeah, right. It, 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 it's, it's the tone of "fuck you." <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so after those five years, I had Medicaid, but because I'm, I, I was uh, trying to uh, get a degree. Because in I I already have four degrees, but in what because I come from a third world country, mm-hmm. my degrees don't count in the United States. So you get to go back and get all the same degrees again here, or choose one of them. Right. But then I realized that's a fucking waste of time. I'm sorry about the French, uh, because you know I have the skills. Yeah. I can work. Yeah. So then I met. A wonderful advocate. Her name is Heather Griego. She was a member of CCDC, the Colorado Cross Disability Coalition. But the first thing she did was in introducing me to CCDC, was to get me to Atlantis and help me get healthcare. Because back then, Atlantis was providing healthcare. Atlantis is the birthplace of ADAPT right. for Denver, 1978. And uh, Atlantis is a, is a center for independent living, and uh, they are they, they are one with Adapt. So, uh, for years they provided me with healthcare for basically no money. Mm-hmm. I was paying almost like 10 bucks, mm-hmm. and that was just because they were trying to be good to me. Mm-hmm. But 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 they were paying, but they were losing money by helping. Mm-hmm. Then I became eligible for Medicaid, so I started. I started uh, having a better life. I could hire my own attendants because I was in the in the in the uh, CIDAS program, the Colorado uh, Consumer Directed at, at Attendant Support Services. Okay. I'm sorry about that. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, so then, all of a sudden, I was way more independent, and but I could still I, I still had a cap 
all, all my earnings. I could not earn, and because I never worked in the United States before 25 years old of yeah. age, I could only have a, a thousand bucks a month. So you're having to keep your income low so that you cannot violate the, the terms of, of Medicaid. Exactly. Medicaid right? the, then I became uh, an active member for that, and I started to get arrested right. in Washington, D.C., in, in, in uh, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, in, in um, Atlanta, in Colorado. Right. Uh, and, and I started to fight. And how has that felt? No, that felt really good. I, I, I mean, I have always been an activist. In Guatemala, I was already an activist. Yeah. Also, of course, in Guatemala, it's super dangerous. Yeah. But I was already an activist. Huh? So being an activist here is a joke. <laughs> because it, you, you get arrested, but you have your rights. Yeah. You, you, it's not like you're going to be taken to a secret detention center and be tortured. Right? So hopefully not. Hopefully not. Exactly. So, um, so it was fun. It was a lot of fun. But then, uh, and I can't remember what year was this. But what what one law was passed that made it harder for in, for immigrants uh, to do this kind of work, and it got a little dangerous. So I stopped doing activism, like like direct actions. Anything that would make you arrestable. Exactly. Yeah. So what I did is that I became a volunteer lobbyist, a volunteer advocate for CCDC, the Colorado Cross Disability Coalition. Okay. And then Julie Riskin, who is the executive director, put her, put her eye on me, and she was and she was working her ass off for a year and a half. Right. To get the money to hire me. Right. She wanted me in her team. Yeah. And I was like, wow, really? Julie Risking? I have heard so much about her. Yeah. And she wants me. I was super honored. Yeah. Uh, and now I work there. But for the first two years that I was working there as a staff member, mm -hmm. she had to cap my income so that I could keep my Medicaid and my Section 8. So if I zoom out on this, as, especially as someone that is pretty ignorant about all of this. It's like, you know, so I'm in a band, I'm a rapper, I have, my job is strange, and sometimes it pays us, and sometimes it doesn't, and sometimes it's, you know, it's a lot of income, sometimes it's no income for a while. And so I know that on the one side I have my income needs, and on the other side, I have this need to work. Like I, if even, I have this need, even when I wake up, like I need to know what, I'm, what am I doing today? What is my purpose? And some days it just feels really confusing. Um, and so there's, they're not the same, but often they go together. Um, and it seems like just zooming out, it's like, it's pretty obvious, right? Like, that we all have the ability, the need to like contribute and work. And it, it's absurd if the actual process of working means that we then can't get the care that we need. Exactly. And so is there, in a, is there a quick way to describe like what is needed to be able to reconcile that piece? Because that would seem like something anyone would want to change just to, to make sure that Actually, coming coming from a third world country that has universal healthcare for everyone, oh. I can tell you that one of the key factors yeah. is stop looking at public benefits as a charity. The government always, by by UN charter, has the obligation to serve their people. Their people means everyone. Not only people with disabilities, not only elderly, not only kids, yeah. everyone. 
Yeah. Everyone who lives in a country has the right to be served by their government. Right. And that should be their way. And in a situation with universal health care, then it also addresses the issue of there's no disincentive to work or there's no... Exactly. Because it's... I think to anyone listening, it's like, that's, that's absurd that someone who's trying to work has to then be concerned that the work could undercut their care. Exactly. I mean, you cannot, for a long time, they, they, people were scared to even, to even mention that they have even a small employer, employ, em, em, employment, mm -hmm. such as walking a dog, such as loaning a, a, a loan for somebody. Right. You know, it, it, it's ridiculous. They had to be dirty, poor, to be able to have these benefits. Wow. Now, thanks to people like Josh Winkler, who you just talked to, we have in Colorado a working health Medicaid buying program. So now, I, for example, right now, because my earning is higher than, than the average, because I'm an IT manager, I pay, you know, an, an, a, a decent amount of money to Medicaid and I keep to I get to keep Medicaid I, I get to work I have no asset limits and uh, my my income level the highest I can go is 300 and I think 2% up over the poverty level okay so now I can say okay I can earn what any IT manager will earn because I have those skills mm -hmm. Because I also volunteer as a policy reviewer. I volunteer as a board member for several organizations. Right. You know, things like that. Yeah, okay. That's really helpful. I'm also, and I don't want to keep you guys too long. No, too and also I want to share with you that that's kind of like hitting the lottery or the American dream for somebody with a disability. To be able to do what Jose is doing is new. Mm -hmm. It's kind of unheard of. Mm -hmm. Like he shared, he doesn't have to be dirt poor now to uh, to be able to have his job. Right. Uh, it's a I'll big deal. And the benefits that he requires, he couldn't find anywhere else under any other insurance. Mm -hmm. So and, there's um, no, and the expenses of them would never... It would never be such that you could just have a job that would then that pay would for pay all the for benefits. Right. For, for me, it's 40000 bucks, And I am Sarah's advocate. For Sarah, it's sixty-eight thousand bucks a year, mm -hmm. because her, because right now her disability is more complex than mine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the one piece you said we were talking macro and micro, right? Yeah. So in the disability community, we talk a lot about the transition age for individuals, like mm -hmm. eighteen to twenty-one. What happens after they leave public school systems, right? The idea right. is that everyone's going to go out and get a job. Well, the reality of this is everyone's not going out and getting a job. Mm -hmm. And the bigger reality is there are a ton of uh, young people with disabilities mm -hmm. who are sitting at home on their parents' couch because they're are not easy systems in place for people with disabilities to go get a job. Mm -hmm. The jobs that are available are not always what the individual wants to do with their life. Right. It's kind of or like can. or can. Exactly. It's kind of like here's a we're going to we're going to pit fit you a peg into you know right, into right, a right, right. hole. So 
Um, the it looks really beautiful what we're trying to save and that being said there's so much work to be done right. so don't just cut a system right. that's working just because it's not working for some people in this country we can make it work for everybody in this country that's one of the things I kept saying during this for almost five weeks uh -huh. that we have been fighting to the nail to save Medicaid what I kept saying to senators, to, when I kept tweeting, what I kept putting in Facebook is, I know we have a broken system. It is a broken system, mm -hmm. but taking it away is not the solution. The solution is to fix it. Right. Taking away billions of dollars off of it is gonna kill a lot of people. That's it. Right. That's the bottom line. That I don't wanna. Line. I don't wanna die. I don't wanna see my friends die. I probably will survive longer because I'm from a third world country and I don't have to. But, and because I have a mom and because I have sisters. But I, I, I know people that have no family. Right. I, and, and that literally, right. it, the moment you cut their services, two weeks they will die. So that's really what we're looking at right now. And yeah. that's why we're out here today. Yeah. And that's why we're talking to you. And that's why we hope that you spread this message to as many people as you can. Absolutely. Because, uh, you know, the more you know. Right. Well, I, I appreciate it very much, not just taking the time to talk to me, but all being on the front lines. And on behalf of all the people that are also benefiting from that activism, really, really thank you. And uh, we're, we're all in this. It's one big system of, of, it's one big system that we're facing, but it's also one, one big community of folks that um, we can all st step forward in different ways. So thanks and so much. <laughs> thank you. And that's why we keep saying, how do you spell power? A D A P T. So thanks for listening, y'all. And uh, once again, as always, if you like this, we hope you'll subscribe and tell people about it. And um, you can look in the description for all kinds of details on what ADAPT is up to right now yeah. and stay current about what's happening with the healthcare debate in this country. Let's let's start moving it forward rather than always being on the defense. Yes, absolutely. And uh, we'll be back Friday with a little bit of an extra for you and see you again next week. Shout out to Sean for making the background noise.